Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Our WhatsApp number is 087 It is indeed time for parenting with Joanna Fortune uh, once again. Afternoon, Afternoon, Joanna. Sean. Right, your first question is this. Our 12-year-old daughter has recently taken to addressing her dad by his Christian name. As you can imagine, this was amusing to us at first, but now it's become quite unsettling. He was always dad, and this change seems so cold, almost like she's trying to create a distance with us. It jars terribly when we've guests in the house. But the more we ask her to stop, the more insistent she becomes. How can we get her to revert to the old way of uh, um, without causing an argument? I mean, I don't know that you can, you know, without causing an argument, because, you know, when preteens and teenagers are growing up, they will overtly seek out more power more equality. I'm the same as you. I'm not a child anymore. You know, we're all peers in this house until it comes to paying the bills and stuff, obviously. Um, <laughs> but that's quite normal to do that in the parenting. And she's very much the preteen relationship. And look, in some families, some people embrace the philosophy of sure, call me by my name. That's fine. And in other families, you know, it doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah. There's no right or wrong with yeah. that. In this letter, I'm, it's clearly not comfortable. I don't know why she's singling out her dad. Yeah, to start. that's interesting. And it might be she's testing the water with yeah. one parent. Um, now, you did find it amusing at first. And this is often, I mean, I know she's 12, but this comes up with the swearing toddlers as well. Like mm. when you laugh initially or you smile or you think it's funny and then you change your reaction, you're the one who has changed. Mm. Her behaviour hasn't. Yeah. So... You might want to revisit it and say, I thought you were being funny when you started this. And now I realize it's something you're going to do on an ongoing basis. And I realize I'm not comfortable with it. Like, tell her how you feel instead of doing this. You must call me whatever. Tell her, you know, only X number one, two, three, four, however many children you have. Only X number of people in the world get to call me dad. And you're one of those special people to me. And it means a lot to me to be your dad. It hurts my feelings. I get upset when you call me by my name and I'm asking you not to do it. And you put it as direct and honest as that and you repeat that a couple of times. And if she persists, and she might, (laughs) Mm. by the sounds of things, you can say when you ignore my upset, it feels disrespectful to me and I would never Mm. disrespect you and we respect each other in this family. And that's really as far as you can go. If she keeps calling you that name, I would avoid making it a power struggle because I think that's what it is for her. It's an attempt to exert some power. And if you get pulled into that power struggle with her, then nobody's getting anything out of that. I am interested that it's one parent. You know, I don't know why she's singling him out. Maybe she thinks it's easier to get away with things with him. and Or that she's going to get a bigger reaction. Who knows? But I think acknowledge that, you know, you're growing up and you're letting me know that you're not a little kid anymore. And by the way, I know that and I get that. Mm. And it might be about, you know, it's reminded me that we can change some things and give you some more responsibility in the house. You respond to her (laughs) as a mature. And she (laughs) might suddenly go, you're all right, dad. It's okay, yeah. you know, but I think just be honest with her instead of saying you must, you must and getting into this authoritarian struggle, which I think you will lose ultimately yeah. because you can't force her to say the word dad. I think explain to her how important it is to you and what it means to you and come at it in that honest way. But, you know, embracing some of that gentle yet firm is, I suppose, yeah. the best way to put it approach. Yeah. 
also, I know. I suppose it kind of it's an opportunity for a traveller to say, you know, I know I'm a parent, but like I'm a human being and I have feelings, and to try and get to absolutely. And I think it's really important that kids learn that. Yeah. And you know, she's coming into adolescence. This is only the beginning of power struggles, mm. by the way. So it's a really good opportunity to set a boundary and a limit and say, look, I'm not comfortable with it, and it's really upsetting me. Yeah. You yeah. know, and to do that and try to you know elicit that empathic response from her. Right. Uh, next question also involves uh, a 12 year old. Mm-hmm. And I should say, because this often happens, is that we we often get questions in uh, and they're quite long and yeah. we do and we do cut them down just for airing purposes. Uh, but but uh, Joanna obviously gets to see the long version yeah. of these questions. We have recently found out that our daughter is self-harming. She's 12. She's a high achiever, sensitive, but very hard on herself and has always been anxious. The anxiety started during COVID when she'd pull at her hair and we arranged for her to see a counsellor, but they didn't click. She says she feels distraught and even wants to self-harm after the sessions. Now are worried, wondering if we should try and find another one. She feels anxious all the time and has also discussed her discomfort in her own body and recently began wearing oversized clothes uh, and there are new scars on her body. I'm trying to be calm, reduce the anxious feeling in the house, but we're all struggling. There have been a few stressful situations within the family circle recently. Could they be playing a part in her worries? The positive is she's talking to me and was upfront about the self-harm. I could really do with some help because I worry we aren't going to find the right expert. Oh, there's so much. And like you said, I have seen the longer version of this letter and the specifics of the stressful situations in the family circle alluded to here. And so the the short answer to that part is they could certainly be contributing to some of her anxiety, her worries, what's underpinning the self-harm. But in and of themselves, not one of those would be the cause, Mm. you know. Um, But, you know, when you're already feeling or predisposed to anxiety, when anxious events enter the family, of course, that makes your anxiety bigger. I'm also very aware that those stressful situations in this family have affected all members of the family. And You know, when somebody you love, like in a parent child relationship, when somebody you love as much as you love your child is hurting themselves, that's incredibly difficult and painful to witness and to know that. And I think, first of all, what I'd really like this parent and parents to do is to get some support for themselves. I think the temptation can be to keep this a secret. Don't tell anyone. Keep this inside the family. Actually, you need to activate your support network if that's other family members or friends or whoever that might be in your family or community network, you need to activate some support for yourself because this is a very difficult thing to deal with in any family. And she's 12. Yeah. She's really young. I don't think it's any easier, by the way, if she was 15. This is a very difficult thing to deal with. I'm also curious because, you know, she's 12 and I'm, I'm, I'm inferring that she might be coming to the end of sixth class rather than already in first year. I'm wondering if the school have access to resources or, you know, a child psychologist or a NEP psychologist or a child psychotherapist that the school refer to. And it might be worth connecting with them. I know there's only a few weeks left in the year. I'm just so cognizant of waiting lists in Mm. public and private sector that if they've somebody that works within the school community, that could be a helpful start. And especially if it was somebody with whom she has a pre-existing relationship and awareness. Now, 
going sort of backwards then the bit about you've been to a counsellor. Now, I see these terms like counsellor and therapist, they, they can be quite vague because with a 12 year old, you're really looking at the type of clinical modality, which is the way of working. Yeah, Very yeah. few 12 year olds are going to come in, pull up a chair and do the classic talk therapy approach purely because coming in to a total stranger, an adult, a total strange adult to talk about really difficult things going on in your life is a weird situation to yes, present to absolutely. a child. Yeah. OK, and I think I'm wondering if you acknowledge that, you know, we gave it a go, but it's strange, isn't it? It is a strange thing to suggest to you. And one of the things that I'm asking you to do is to go three full sessions, ideally six, but I'll settle for three full sessions before you decide it's not for you. Because mm. the first time is, of course, going to feel weird because it is a bit weird, this whole idea. But can you go X amount of times? I really would look for three and give it a really honest go. And if you still don't like it and don't feel a good connection, we'll stop and we'll look for somebody else. Not we'll stop and never go back, but look for somebody else. I would be suggesting that you work with a child psychologist or child psychotherapist who can offer you a blend of talking about issues, but also using other means, more creative or mm. symbolic kind of play based interventions so that the days she comes in and is like, I don't want to talk to you. The mental health professional in the room go, that's fine. Yes, we don't yes, have to talk yes. as opposed to, right, well, we'll stare at each other. So I don't know the nature of the counselling she's had. I think it is entirely possible anybody listening as an adult who's ever been to therapy of any kind knows you might have to go to two or three therapists to find sure. a con it's somebody that you feel a connection mm. with. So don't give up on the process. Mm. And it's nothing personal to any counsellor or therapist that you don't feel a fit. So don't be afraid to say, I'm just don't think this is the right fit for me. So I'm going to look for someone else because they might be able to say, I understand. Can I give you some names? Yes. You know, yes. I'm, I, well, I, must say, I got a sense personally. from that as well, very much that that was kind of we don't want to offend the counsellor. You know? Don't worry about that. You absolutely <laughs> won't offend yeah. the counsellor. You know, they this is something this is part of our work. So, you know, if someone says to me, I don't think this is a good fit, I totally understand. Don't give up on the process. Let mm. me point you in a direction that could be helpful. Here's a number of names to try. Now, that's the best way to go about it in that regard. However, and alongside that, this isn't an instead of I would strongly encourage you as a matter of urgency to go to your GP and look for an urgent referral to CAMS, the Child yeah. and Adolescent Mental Health Services. Um, also, you know, contact Jigsaw, jigsaw.ie about a referral in there. That's for youth mental health services as well. Um, you know, other questions have come up around this one around Pieta, you know, and Pieta do have a 24 hour crisis line. So when this and I'm saying when this feels too much for you at home, because this is beyond your typical parenting, there's nothing in the parenting manual to go, here's what you do when this happens. You know, yeah. So when it feels too much, it is too much. And so their crisis helpline number, which is 24 hours, is 1-800-247-247. But they also have a text line. You can text the word help to 51444 just to put those numbers out there. Yeah. Um, for You've been talking with your daughter as well about encouraging her to find alternatives to self-harm when she's feeling the way she does ahead of self-harming. Now, that is calling on a 12-year-old to have quite a degree of insight and capacity to kind of mm. go, oh, I'm feeling like this anxiety is building. I know I might be about to self-harm. I need to stop. 
she may not have that capacity. Yeah. However, you could ensure that she has the contact details of Childline at her disposal, because if she feels the urge to hurt or that kind of stress and anxiety building, she could also call Childline on 1800 666 is that enough sixes? Another six. <laughs> it's all sixes. Yeah. Six, 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 six. Um, but they also on their website, shyline.ie, have an online chat function, which a lot of preteens and teenagers prefer to do as a first, yeah. as opposed to that talking piece. I'm just conscious of giving an alternative to her talking. Yeah. And, and there is an online chat function, but they on shyline.ie, they also have some resources and information about self-harm for young people to access as much as for parents. So all of those on mentalhealthireland.ie, there are a number of resources that I want you to connect with so that you can get some information, some deeper insight. But none of this is instead of going to your GP, which I think you need to do. Um, because she has new scars on her body, I would also make sure in places as much as you can now, by the way, in places like bathrooms, remove access to obvious cutting items, no blades, no razors, things like that lying around as much as you can safety proof the home yes. environment. But also manage your expectations about many things you don't think can be a cutting implement yes. can be a cutting yeah. implement. OK, but I think get some support for yourself. Tell her how worried you are. I think you you should also say you're how proud you are because I think you are she's that talking she's come to, her, to that's you. Extraordinary. Keep that line of communication open at all costs that she brings those worries to you and let her know no matter what time of day or night, if she's feeling like she might hurt herself, that she can come and sit with you, get into the bed with you. She can you will get up and sit with her in the sitting room, make hot drink and just sit with her until it passes so she's not alone with that. But all of this to say, Sean, she's still going to need third party professional support around this. The high achiever, the sensitivity being hard on herself. You've a lot of bubbling, underpinning things that she needs some some support with. But this isn't going to go away on its own. Yeah. I have an almost 12-year-old son who has always been challenging. He was diagnosed with ADHD when he was seven or eight, which really helped us and him in terms of understanding why he had difficulty coping, emotional regulation, impulsivity, meltdowns, etc. We didn't go down the medication route as he manages well so far in school. They are brilliant with him and understand him, which obviously helps. We've had a relatively good few years since then. But since he turned 11, I find him increasingly challenging again. He's anxious, moody, needy and dependent, but also angry and defensive. He gets so upset if I challenge him on anything or if things don't go his way and he lashes out. And there are frequent long lasting meltdowns. I feel like we've taken steps backwards in the progress and we are making and our relationship feels acrimonious. It's as if he's waiting for us to fail him and let him down again. As if everything we do is taken as a slight. Myself and his father are walking on eggshells. I'm aware this may be rejection sensitivity, which is common in people with ADHD. He's also the most beautiful, social, dramatic, funny, kind and smart kid when everything is going his way. And I hate to see him unhappy uh, and be his, his worst enemy. Enemy, I am dreading the teenagers already and worry about his transition to secondary school next year. Could this be teenage hormones making him moody already? Uh, I would really appreciate your advice. I mean, of course, it could be that, you know, he is growing up. I don't mm. know about hormones or where he's at with puberty, but it could be. The, the one thing I'd say is this parent has great insight into your child. You know him so well and trust your instinct. You're seeing that something has changed, that he has a diagnosis of ADHD for 
in and around five years now mm. that he has managed and you have managed with him and for him really well. You clearly have an excellent supportive school community. I would go to them. I would let them know something has changed. We're noticing at home. We're curious. Are you noticing anything in school? Because yes, he has ADHD and this could be a part of it. And I will get to that. But I'd also show some curiosity is anything else going on? You know, when somebody has something like ADHD, it can be very quick to go, oh, it's the ADHD. Yes. And it yeah. might be, but mm. it also could be other environmental changes. Like we would always be curious about, has anything changed in school, at home, with his peers or in any of his outside world activities? You know, has there been anything or could there be anything? Because it's worth connecting with the relevant people in all of those areas to get curious about that. So I'd explore that first and with him, by the way, and just let him know, look, I've noticed things are changing and it's getting a bit hard for you to, I don't know, hear me or follow through or when I ask you to do something. And I'm wondering, is there anything I can do to help you? You know, come at it in that way with curiosity but also flagging. <laughs> I yeah. see what's going on here. Now, I would also say after five years, it is time to review his ADHD presentation with ideally the professional who assessed him and diagnosed him to begin with or somebody in that field. Because, you know, there is an increase in some of his behavioural symptoms associated with it. He has grown up since that diagnosis was made and he may benefit from a clinical review of not questioning the diagnosis, but looking at how it's manifesting now in him as a preteen boy rather yeah, than yeah. a young boy of seven or eight years old. So they might sit with you and re-examine treatment options. And I would just appeal to you to be open to anything that would be suggested because it could not. And I'm not saying that means he needs medication, but I'm not saying that doesn't mean that either. There are all kinds of programs that could be helpful for yeah. him with that. And I think it would be worth connecting in with, again, I'm saying CAMS. Um, if you didn't get your diagnosis there to begin with and you got it privately, you could go back to whoever did it. But I'd link with CAMS because sometimes they have small group supports, parent supports and other pieces on offer. And it's definitely worth doing that at this stage because the seven-year-old who was diagnosed is not the 11 year old now living with that diagnosis. Yes. yeah, He's changed and things will need to change around him so that the effect and impact you are seeing at seven can be re-realized. But what works at seven, and might we say this often, yes, might just yeah. not be working because he's growing up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just going back briefly to the, uh, to the girl who's starting to call her father by his first name. A lot of people uh, had kind of a, a similar experience. There was... Uh, one person wonders, does Joanna think that young teenage girls react negatively to their fathers? I did. I remember thinking he was completely in the dark ages. He wasn't. Whereas my mum would always have treated me in a more adult way. Is this a thing? I saw this with my nieces too. They got over it by the age of 15 or 16. I mean, it can be. It, uh, there's so many variables. I think, you know, just to offer the counterpoint, I probably idealised my dad, um, you know, at that age. Mm, and, yeah. But, if you're asking me, do teenagers engage in splitting between their parents? Absolutely. And they can good cop and bad cop and they can say, you're going to be the one I target here. But as soon as I'm over that, I'll switch gears and target the other one. And it can be very difficult not to take that personally. Mm. So I, I think it could be a part of that. But it there's so many other variables at play in terms yes, of the nature yeah, of the relationship, really the dynamic, yeah. the kind of there isn't a general answer to that one. Yeah. 
Though it seems fairly common, though, the calling them yeah. by the first name, at least for a period of time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, some really small out. kids can do it because they oh, they yeah. hear other adults calling their parents by their names and they start mirroring that. Yeah. You know, but I also think you can get this kind of pseudo maturity that comes in with some preteens where they're like, well, I'm a grown up now, so I'm going to start acting and talking like a grown up. And that includes calling you your name instead of dad, because I don't want to be that child. I'm, I'm It's almost playing with what would it be like to be the grown up? And as an, another example, well, this is going to be on the extreme end of this. One of my friends used to call her dad by his surname, i.e. <laughs> Mr. Byrne. I found it really bizarre. That's a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. But points to that child for novelty nonetheless. You're on a fortune. Thanks a million. Thank uh, Moncrief. Weekdays at 2pm. With Anna Glaze. On News Talk.